guys, did you miss me? Because I definitely missed you. A little bit awaited, but brand new episode of What the Actual F. My name is Harmony, for those of you who just don't know who the hell I am. Welcome to the show. So, because I was gone for a little while, Halloween passed, my birthday passed, and I was making a music video. It was this music video that reminded me of a very famous serial killer. Today, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, I want to talk about her. That's right, she's a lady. In 2002, the state of Florida executed the 10th woman to ever receive the death penalty in the United States since the 1976 reinstatement of capital punishment. That woman's name was none other than Eileen Warnos. Eileen was a former sex worker who had killed seven men that she picked up while working the highways of Florida between 1989 and 1990. Her life would later become the subject of screenplays, stage productions, and multiple documentaries, as well as the basis for the movie Monster, which many of you will probably know because it stars the ever-incredible and absolutely talented and so beautiful Charlize Theron or Theron, I don't actually know how to say her last name correctly, I could be wrong. However, these take on the story of Eileen Warnos and revealed a woman who proved capable of murder again and again, all while also revealing just how tragic Eileen's life was. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, welcome. I think it's time to begin. men have been shot to death in cold blood on Central Florida highways, including the busy tourist route of I-75. But this time, there's an even more chilling twist to the slain. Police say for the first time in criminal history, these killers may be murdering with a feminine touch. So not a lot of serial killers' backstories actually kind of hurt my heart. But I'm going to be honest with you guys, Eileen's really does. I have heard and read about a lot of killers experiencing a lot of abuse and a lot of bad shit in their early life. But oh, Eileen? Whoo, okay, listen, just buckle up, because this shit is fucked up. Eileen was born Eileen Carol Pittman in Rochester, Michigan. This was on February 29th of 1956. Now, her mother's name was Diane Warnos, or... Diane Pittman, and she was about 14 years old the day that Eileen was born. She was married to an 18-year-old by the name of Leo Dale Pittman. Now, Leo was a pretty bad guy, and he would actually never end up meeting Eileen. And sadly, him being a bad guy and in her family would just be the first one of many. Now, before Eileen was born, she would actually have an older brother come into, well, her mom's life on March 14th of 1955, and his name was Keith. Two years later, while she's married and has, well, her two-year-old son, she's about two months away from giving birth to Eileen when she decides to file for divorce from Leo. She would then go on to give birth to Eileen when she was about 16 years old. Now, like I said, Eileen never met her father. He wasn't around for the birth of her, none of that. He actually ended up getting incarcerated before she was born. And this was, uh, this was due to some pretty fucking gross shit. So it's like really good that he wasn't around her. Don't worry, I'm gonna tell you what happened. 
So Leo would actually end up being diagnosed with schizophrenia. And then, which I'm not saying it's correlated because it's not, but I do want to let that be known because Eileen also has some apparent mental illnesses as well. And schizophrenia happens to be genetic, which means it can pass down through your family. Now, Leo was incarcerated for raping a seven-year-old girl. Yep. 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 It's official. I fucking hate humans. Not that I had like any doubt before, but <clears throat> nail in the coffin. However, he wouldn't live too long into Eileen's life. He would end up taking his life by hanging himself in his prison cell on January 30th of 1969. So roughly about 13 years after Eileen was born. So now this takes us to about four years into Eileen's life. Her and her little, sorry, her older brother Keith and her mom are, you know, they're trying to like make the best of life. Except that's not exactly how the story goes. In fact, it would be at this time that Diane would decide she should just go ahead and abandon her children. Exactly, man, this is where it's gonna start to get really fucked up, okay? Not that it wasn't already fucked up, but this is where my heart started being like, oh my God. Poor baby Eileen. I started to want to cry. She actually didn't just like take them to somewhere and leave them, thankfully. She took them over to her grandparents. And by her, I mean Leo's grandparents, not Diane's. This would be Lowry and Britta Warnos. Now, both of them were extreme alcoholics, which obviously sounds like a good situation and totally healthy for children. But I mean, like, what do I know? I'm just a parent. I also grew up with an extremely alcoholic mother and alcoholics run like, or not alcoholics, but alcoholism runs in my family. So <laughs> I don't personally drink a lot. I think I have maybe one drink a month, if that. So <laughs> yeah. So this very unhealthy situation for children started at a very early age for the kids and they would actually end up legally adopting their grandchildren. This would happen on March 18th, 1960. However, as great as this should have been, a wonderful situation because at least they had legal guardians and it was their family. It was actually horrible. You see, by the age of 11, Eileen began engaging in sexual activities in school. And this was because she wanted candy or cigarettes or whatever. She also engaged in sexual activities with her brother. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. No, I'm not, by the way, that sounded, that probably sounded like I was about to give her an excuse. I'm not. But Eileen had a very fucked up mentality when it comes to sexual relationships. And this is where we're gonna pause because I need to pause because it's gonna get so fucked up. Brace yourselves. And so to boom, 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 you know, they weren't cut up, they weren't sliced up, no OJ jazz, you know. And he said, I did the most horrendous crime in the whole wide world. Not true? I guess not. All they were was shot and left. If it was a horrendous crime, why didn't I shoot them between the eyes, cut their penis off, stick it in their mouth, you know, do all kinds of gross stuff. All they were was shot and left, you know? Okay, so Eileen didn't really understand sex and I think sexual relationships as any point in her life was it healthy for her. She moved in with her grandparents at four and very early in her life they began abusing her like very very badly. 
Her grandfather was assaulting her in sexual ways that are atrocious. But I believe this blurred the lines for her on what is correct and what is incorrect. Because, like, you and I know, you shouldn't be diddling your brother. <laughs> but we also would probably be really confused about that if our grandfather was doing things to our body sexually on the side. So, I'm not trying to justify this, by the way. I feel like that's what it sounds like. So, I'm just going to go ahead and put a fork in that. And let's move forward because I feel like this is getting awkward. So, her grandfather was a really bad man. But not just that. She also would then be assaulted in a very violent manner by one of his friends, which would end up leaving her pregnant. So she gets pregnant at 14 years old by her grandfather's friend after a brutal rape. Eileen is then sent off to a home for unwed mothers in order for her to give birth to her son. He was born on March 23rd of 1971, and he was immediately placed up for adoption, which I do believe was in his best interest because as we go forward, it's not like Eileen was exactly the, the best situation in place for a, a newborn baby, especially because her future home is the woods. So <laughs> last I checked, uh, newborns don't thrive out there, but I could be wrong. So now, a few months after her son was born and put up for adoption, Eileen is home and she's in school, she's still selling her body, and she just decides, I don't want to do this. But it's not the one you're thinking, it's not like she decided she's going to stop selling her body. No, she decides, I'm just not going to go to school anymore, but I'm going to continue to sell my body and I'm going to move out of my grandparents and I'm going to move into this lovely plot of land in the woods. So like I said, totally not fit to be taking care of a newborn. However, she does this. She moves out of her grandfather's house because her grandmother had passed away. She died of liver disease and it was just her grandfather and the abuse was still very, very much rampant. And of course, there was a lot of violence as well. And Eileen was just like, fuck this. I'm gonna go live out in the woods where nobody is abusing me and I can handle myself. So she does that she begins to handle herself and sells her body and lives in the woods and this is where the crime really begins mouth i mean now prosecutors and well, cops and that you, and that you killed seven men huh that you killed those men in cold blood yeah and i gotta come clean that i killed those seven men in first degree murder and robbery as they said they had it right a serial killer not so much like thrill kill. I was into the Robin biz. I mean, you know, serial killers are in this thrill killing jazz. I was into the robbing, just and eliminate a witness. But still, then again, I got a number, so it's serial killer. Now we are at May 27th of 1974, where 18 year old Eileen is arrested in Jefferson County, Colorado. This is for driving under the influence, along with a little bit of uh, disorderly conduct and a sprinkle of firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. Just like a normal Tuesday night. I don't actually know what day of the week it was. But for Eileen, this was just like going to be a normal thing. Also, in regards to these charges, she would also end up being charged with failure to appear. It's okay though, because just two years later, Eileen was like, yeah, fuck Colorado and Michigan, I'm just gonna leave. She decided to stay away from the cold weather, I mean literally as far from the cold weather as you can go, and still be in the US, by going to Florida. 
or as I like to call it, the United States basement. It's hot, it's wet, there's a lot of gross shit down here, and the bugs, oh my god. So she hitchhikes to Florida, where she would actually go on to meet a 69-year-old man. He was the yacht club president, and his name was Louis Gratz Fell. Now, Louis would actually become smitten with Eileen. I guess you could say Mr. Louis or Louis really fell. If you, if you, that was corny as shit, wasn't it? Okay, sorry. But I say this because the two actually ended up getting married really quickly. I mean, the actual announcement of the marriage kind of was like such a shock that it ended up being printed in the newspaper. So they get married really quickly, just like right out of the gate. It's actually announced in the papers. However, Eileen decided to still continue, uh, I guess, breaking the law. Instead of enjoying this new life that she had taken the chance on, you know, got married, fell in love, I don't know which order she did it in. However, she could have like dove into that, you know, just enjoyed being a wife and having somebody there and living a, a nice life. And I say that because this man was rich, like rich, rich. She literally could want for nothing. Instead, she was like, no, I'm gonna go to dive bars still, which, okay, fine, I get it. I don't really drink, but I still get the attraction. You just hang out there. It's, it's not hoity-toity and it's not expensive. But she would go there and hang out and do drugs and flirt with random men and just do whatever she wanted and just not care that she had a husband and not care about the law. So she would get really drunk and start fights and drive while she's intoxicated. And it just, there was no change in a positive manner in her life when she met Louis. But Louis, he really did try. He, he really did. That was until, well, she kept getting in trouble to the point that he started to be involved. And by that, I mean she flat out hit Lewis. I don't mean like she just, I'm not laughing because it's fucking horrible. Any forms of assault is just not okay. But she took this poor old man's cane. I'm not trying to laugh. It's so fucked up. I'm so sorry. She, uh, she started beating him with it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's so dark. And I'm laughing. Listen, I'm, I'm mentally not okay. I do laugh when people say some fucked up shit and I think it's just my brain is like, what? People could do that? That's so dark. I don't know why I'm laughing. And that's how it feels. Like, I literally, it's fucking disgusting. Like, if I saw that, I would absolutely, like, knock somebody out be like, what the fuck? But my brain would be like, there's no fucking way that really happened. What? Like, in my mind, I could not fathom hitting an old person, especially with their fucking cane, especially when I'm married to. Like, what the fuck? Anyways, as we know, Eileen... She's just, she was brought up by bad people and she's turning out to be a bad person. So <clears throat> let's take a break for a second. I'm gonna try to uh, compose myself and try not to laugh at any more of the super dark and twisted stuff that we're gonna talk about because it's not like it's gonna get any better. We're not gonna end this singing kumbaya to one another, that's for sure. I killed him. And so like when you met them from the beginning, did you know that you were gonna kill them? when they picked you up in their cars i pretty much <clears throat> i pretty much had them so, uh, selected that they were going to die but when you're saying that um there was no self-defense so there was no self-defense 
Now, there was no self-defense. Uh, I'm being really straight up about mm -hmm. everything. There's no self-defense. I'm really sorry what happened about everything. I, I was in, in this, this, to me, this world is nothing but evil, and all of us are full of evil one way or another in whatever we do. We have evil in us, all of us do. Mm -hmm. And my evil would just happen to come out because of the circumstances of what I was doing. Hitchhiking, hooking. So now Lewis has filed a restraining order against his wife and Eileen's just like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna get the fuck out of Dodge. So she heads back to Michigan. And this is where on July 14th of 1976, she is arrested at Bernie's Club. This is a bar and it's kind of important because the bartender there ended up being assaulted by her. I'm sure you're sitting there like, oh my God, what'd she do? She threw a fucking cue ball at his face. As you can imagine, people called the cops and she was taken in. Not exactly changing her ways, is she? Now, just literally three days after this arrest, her brother would end up dying due to esophageal cancer. However, Keith did manage to have a life insurance policy and guess who it was willed to? Eileen. So she was given $10,000 by her brother. As she is getting this money and starting to celebrate, cause like she does, her marriage is annulled between Lewis and her, and she decides to go on like a spending spree. Because in August of 1976, the same year, just a month or so after her brother passes away, she gets a fine for drunk driving. Not even getting arrested, just a fine. Like, hey, <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Here's a ticket. This is about $105, which is a lot in 1970s. That would be like you're sitting in fucking jail right now and paying a lot of money. However, she gets a slap on the wrist and then the rest of that money that she was given is gone within two months. All of it, just nothing to show for it. She did buy a car though. She got a brand new luxury car, but she wrecked it. Probably because she was driving drunk. Okay, we're gonna take a quick little break. You're gonna hear some audio, and then we're gonna come back, and we're gonna continue on this twisted fucking ride. Maybe you were just born bad. How Boy, do you... I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. No, I wasn't born bad. You guys got it. Sam, trying to tell you, man, they lied. They lied so bad to you all. But you've been convicted of killing seven men. Everybody's looking at the number. Does that not, you, you killed well, seven men, seven strangers. Does that not make you a serial killer? So I didn't kill them every day, did I? Did I go out there every day and say, hmm, I'm gonna kill? If I did, there would well, be Well, no, hundreds. it took you 12 months. Yeah, and, it, and, and that's a hell of a lot of men I went through before the next jerk came along and I used protection, like a condom. So it was, self, it was self defense? Yeah. Lee, the first one, Perhaps the second, maybe, but so seven times? So what? It is now 1978, and Eileen is 22 years old. She has nothing and nobody. This is when she decides she wants to take her life, and she attempts to do so by shooting herself in the stomach. Now, as you can imagine, this isn't a very common form of suicide and that's because it doesn't work as well as like shooting yourself, say, in the head. So she does survive and continues living her life. However, she changes nothing. In fact, from here, her crimes are gonna continue to get worse. 
On May 20th of 1981, Eileen was arrested in Edgewater, Florida for armed robbery of a convenience store. In this theft, she ended up getting away with $35 and two packs of cigarettes. For those things, she would actually serve almost a year in prison. So she gets out on June 30th of 1983, and then about a year later, on May 1st of 1984, Eileen is arrested again. She is arrested for trying to pass off forged checks at a bank in Key West. Then, on November 30th of 1985, she is named as a suspect in another robbery. And this one was for the robbery of a revolver and some ammo in Pasco County, Florida. And just a few months later, on January 4th of 1986, Eileen would be arrested in Miami and charged with car theft, along with resisting arrest and obstruction of justice. She actually tried to use her aunt's name as her name to try to like make the cops think it's not her. These are not the droids you are looking for. Sorry, that's like all I could think of. Anyways, during this whole thing, they actually ended up finding a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammo in that stolen car that she was driving. So for a few months, she kind of like lays low, not a lot goes on, everything seems to be fine, maybe she's changing her ways. Except no, no she's not. Because on June 2nd of 1986, in Volusia County, deputy sheriffs would detain Eileen for some questions that they needed to ask her about an incident. A uh, male companion, if you will, accused Eileen of pulling a gun on him in his car while she demanded $200. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, because this may be a little bit of foreshadowing of the brutal murders that we're about to jump into. But first, we're gonna talk about love. Or whatever Eileen's version of love is, because I don't think you love somebody and then continue to live the life that Eileen did. I mean, unless you're like a sociopath and you just don't feel anything. Oh, 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 yes, I'm a public defender. First, there's Lee Werloss's lawyer. She's given him the job of getting her to the electric chair. If you want to plead out, that's what I'm all about. Just sign this no contest plea. Ty Moore was 24 years old when her relationship with 30-year-old Eileen Warnos began. According to Eileen, the couple's fateful encounter began in Daytona in 1986. They met at the Zodiac Bar, and from then on, they became inseparable. In Eileen's biography, it's actually quoted that Ty was the anchor, the love, everything that she had always been looking for. Even though she was head over heels, madly in love with Ty, she didn't change anything about her. And Ty had no issue with living the way that Eileen was. She didn't mind moving from hotel to hotel, sorry, motel to motel. There was no hotels involved. They weren't staying at a Holiday Inn. They were staying at like Motel 6. That's probably even too much as well. <laughs> but she didn't care. She just wanted to be with Eileen. So she didn't give two shits on where they were. They would even sometimes not even get a motel. They would stay on people's couches and in their spare areas. No matter where they were for four and a half years, they were together. 
which means they truly became so close that Ty knew everything about Eileen. Eileen shared with Ty the abuse, the abandonment, everything that she'd experienced from her childhood to her adulthood. She even shared with Ty that she did sexual favors for money. Of course, Ty was like, hey, <laughs> I don't think that's a smart idea. Like, that's really dangerous. Plus, I love you and I really don't want anything to happen to you. So like, maybe you could just go get a regular job. Of course, Eileen was like, oh, you're so cute. No, I'm fine. I have a gun. I'm totally safe. Of course, Ty still did everything she could to try to get Eileen to stop selling her body. It seems though nothing worked because on the evening of November 30th in 1989, Eileen came home and had a very disturbing confession. Eileen said she had just shot and killed a client of hers. And this was because he had raped and beaten her. Ty immediately believed Eileen, no questions asked. Especially because the victim was identified as a convicted rapist by the name of Richard Mallory. So, okay, the first one, we'll give you that. He was already a bad man, and <laughs> I'm on the side of Dexter. You do bad, you deserve bad. However, Eileen would start coming home with things that belong to people that would probably still want those things, you know, like their wallet, their car, all of their money. Unknown to Ty, the first murder wasn't the last. David Spears would be the next victim of Eileen, and he would be shot six times in May of 1990 and left naked in the woods. That very same month, she shot a rodeo worker by the name of Charles Karkskaden. He was shot nine times and also left naked in the woods. This is because she would push them out of the car that she would then drive off with. Then on June 30th, the same fate fell on Peter Symes. He was a 65-year-old driving his 1988 Pontiac Sunbird from Florida to Arkansas. Now, I can only imagine what Ty thought when Eileen pulls up and is in this beautiful car, but it's not Eileen's and she has no real explanation for it, so I can only imagine what was going through Ty's mind. And on July 4th of 1990, Eileen drove that car off the road and then just left it there. I was like, yeah, no, this can definitely not be tied to me. I haven't been driving it for days. God knows what else I've been doing in it, but there's no signs that I was in it. Except there were. So when police got to this abandoned crash site, immediately they started to search through it and was like, gee, I wonder what the fuck happened here and who was in it. And this is when they recovered prints from the car. These prints would later be traced to a Daytona pawn shop where Eileen's fingerprints had been taken in order for her to sell some of Peter's belongings. The very same person who owned that abandoned car. This means Eileen is now wanted for murder. Then there's the serial killer's new mother. She first met Lee after her arrest and then legally adopted her. Sheba. You know, we believe in the Holy Spirit and so we feel it was him prompting us that this person really needed help and she had nobody and just reach out to her. So we did. I met her in a bar. And there's Lee's gay lover, who betrayed her to the police. We were sitting on the floor watching TV, and she just come out and said, I have something to tell you. And I asked her what, 
And she said that she had shot and killed a man that day. Before I jump into the arrest of Eileen, let me go ahead and just run down her victims. First up, we have Richard Charles Mallory. He was 51 years old at the time of his death. He owned his very own electronics store in Clearwater, Florida. Now, Eileen claimed that he actually beat her, raped her, and sodomized her. He did all of this after he drove her to an abandoned area for sexual services that he had inquired her for. He was her very first victim, and she says that she absolutely positively killed him in self-defense. Later, it would become public that he was previously convicted for attempted rape in Maryland. Two days after his murder in Volusia County, they would find his abandoned vehicle, as I explained, and then on December 13th, they would find his body several miles away in a wooded area. He had been shot several times, obviously, but he had two bullet holes to his left lung, which had been the cause of his death. Next up, we have David Andrew Spears, and he was 47 at the time of his untimely death. Now, he was a construction worker in Winter Garden, Florida, and he was declared missing as of May 19th of 1990. On June 1st of 1990, his naked body was found alongside Route 19 in Florida in Citrus County. He had been shot six times by a 22 caliber pistol. Next, we have Charles Edmund Cascadon. I really don't know if I'm saying this victim's name. Charles Edmund Cascadon? Charles Edmund? Char Charles is number three, and he was 40 when Eileen ended his life. Charles was a part-time rodeo worker, and he was actually wrapped in an electric blanket and found pretty heavily decomposed. She actually would be found to have possession of his car later and also pawned a gun of his as well. So it's like she's definitely being tied to these, not really covering her tracks very well, which amazes me. A lot of serial killers are fucking stupid. And if I just offended you because you're a serial killer and you're not too bright, well, get better at your trade, dude. Or dudette, I don't know. I'm not gonna be sexist in serial killers. Obviously, she's a girl, so. Next, we have Peter Abraham Seams, who was 65 when he was killed. He was retired, and in June of 1990, he left Jupiter, Florida for Arkansas on like a nice little road trip. However, on July 4th of 1990, his car was found in Orange Springs, Florida, but he wasn't with it. However, the two were seen abandoning the car, and Eileen's palm print would actually be found on the interior door handle of the car. However, Peter's body has never been found. Next, we have Troy Eugene Burris, and he was 50 years old when Eileen took his life. He was also the sausage salesman of Ocala, Florida. Daddy, would you like some sausage? Sorry, sorry. Feel free to never listen to this podcast again. I'll totally understand. Anyways, on July 31st of 1990, he was also reported missing. And then on August 4th of 1990, his body would be found in a wooded area along State Road 19. This was in Marion County, and he had only been shot twice. Then we have Charles Richard Dick Humphreys, and he was 56 at the time of his death. Charles was a retired U.S. Air Force major and a former state child abuse investigator, also a former chief of police. Now, when he was found, he was fully clothed but had been shot seven times in the head and the torso. I wanted to make light of that because usually these men would have like their pants down or like completely peeing out and all. 
And now her final victim, Mr. Walter Gino Antonio. Walter was 62 years old, a trucker, a security guard, and a reserve police officer. On November 19th of 1990, his naked body would be found near a remote logging road in Dixie County, and he had been shot four times. Five days later, they found his car in Brevard County. What do you say we take this show off the road and jump into trial? Because Eileen is about to get fucking caught. She's cooked her geese. Jesus, I should probably... I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a break. <laughs> Sorry. And in Florida, opening arguments today in the trial of a defendant the FBI calls a first-of-a-kind serial killer. The accused is a woman. Correspondent Juan Vasquez reports from Central Florida on the case of the alleged damsel of death. On Monday, Eileen Warnos was convicted of killing a 51-year-old businessman. She has admitted to killing seven men, who she says picked her up as a prostitute. But she maintains she killed all the men in self-defense. On July 4th of 1990, Eileen and Ty abandon Peterson's car. This is after the two are involved in some sort of accident, which a witness actually comes forward and shares what they saw. This witness, Rhonda Bailey, actually would give police a description of the two women that were involved in this incident. But this description allowed the local media to release coverage everywhere about the details of who these women were. Police would also find victims' belongings at pawn shops, which would be tied to Eileen due to her fingerprints. And because Eileen had been arrested multiple times in Florida, well, she was already in the system. So on January 9th of 1991, Eileen would be arrested on an outstanding warrant. She would be taken in from the last resort biker bar in Volusia County. Then the next day in Scranton, Pennsylvania, police would arrest Ty. Now she actually would go on and agree to basically get Eileen to confess as long as they would agree not to prosecute Ty. So the police were like, all right, you got a deal. You get her to confess and we will make sure you don't do any time. This is when Ty returned to Florida with police and they put her up in a room and she began the plan. Under police guidance, she made numerous phone calls to Eileen, pleading with her to just help clear her name. Remember, they're looking at Ty too because she was involved in an accident and in a now deceased man's car. Or I don't, wait, I don't think Peter was ever found, was he? I can't remember. Anyways, she's just begging her, please help me clear my name. I really don't want to go down for this. So finally, three days later, on January 18th of 1991, Eileen over the phone confesses to the murders. She claims that the men tried to rape her and that she killed them in self-defense. Ty had done exactly what she said. She held up her end of the deal and got Eileen to confess. Would you tell us your full name, please? Tyra Jolene Moore. Ms. Moore, how old are you? 29. And just tell us where you're living presently in the state. Pennsylvania. And who do you live with? My sister. Was there a time that you lived uh, in the state of Florida in the Daytona Beach area? Yes. I'd like to ask you if you know an Eileen Carol Warnos, also known as Lee. Yes, I do. Did you know that individual under any other names? Uh, yes, I did. The name Lahovic, one of the names you knew her as? Yes. You know her as an, under the name Brody? Yes. 
Did you ever know where to use the name Cammy Marsh Green? Yes. How is it that you knew this woman that you described as Eileen Carol Warnos with the aliases that you, you told us about? Objection to aliases. Objection to the question. How is it that you came to know her? I met her in a bar. And did it come a point in time in, in your life that uh, you and she formed a relationship? Yes, we did. How long did that relationship last? About four and a half years. And could you describe the relationship uh, to us um, in regards to um, your living arrangements, uh, your working arrangements, things of that nature? Well, we live as lovers. January 14th of 1992, Eileen went to trial for the murder of Richard Charles Mallory. Although previous convictions are normally inadmissible in criminal trial, under Florida's Williams rule, the prosecution was allowed to introduce evidence related to her other crimes to show that, uh, well, she broke the law a lot. Then on January 27th of 1992, Eileen would be convicted of his murder. At her sentencing, psychiatrists for her defense testified that Eileen was extremely mentally unstable and even diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Just four days later, she would be sentenced to death. Eileen's defense did make efforts during the trial to introduce evidence that Richard Mallory was previously convicted for attempted rape in Maryland and even served a sentence in Maximum Security Correctional Facility, which uh, was for sexual offenders where he was staying. Meaning, he seemed to have a history of sexual assault, so maybe Eileen wasn't lying. And she really was acting in self-defense, and that was the only thing she could do. Records obtained from the correctional institution showed that from 1958 to 1962, this is where Richard was. He was committed for treatment and observation resulting from a criminal charge of assault with intent to rape and received an overall eight years of treatment from the facility. Meaning, even though there is never an excuse for rape, I don't give a shit what the fuck you think, no, but meaning they really believed he needed a lot of remediation. Because, as you see now, most people for sexual assaults get like 16 fucking months. It's disgusting but he did eight years. Even in the records of Mr. Mallory's, it says, quote, it was observed that Mr. Mallory was possessed by strong sociopathic trends. However, the judge refused to allow the records to be admitted in the court as any evidence and immediately denied Eileen of a request for a new retrial. On March 31st of 1992, Eileen would plead no contest to the murders of Charles Humphreys, Troy Perez, and David Spears. She said that she wanted to get right with God in her statement to the court. Quote, I want to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me as I've told you, but the others did not. They only sort of began to start. On May 15th of 1992, Eileen was given three more death sentences. And in June of 1992, Eileen pled guilty to the murder of Charles Edmund Cascadon. Cascadon? Carskadon? I, I don't even know if I'm saying that name right. In November of 1992, she received her fifth death sentence. Then in February of 1993, Eileen pled guilty to the murder of Walter Antonio. 
where she was ultimately sentenced to death again. No charges, however, were brought against her for the murder of Peter Sims because his body has never been found. So in total, Eileen received six death sentences. Eileen would continue to have several inconsistent stories about the murders. She claimed initially that all seven men had raped her, but later she recanted this claim of self-defense, citing it was all about robbery and her desire to leave no witnesses. During an interview with a filmmaker by the name of Nick Brumfield, when Eileen thought that the cameras were off, she told him that it was in fact self-defense. But she couldn't stand by being on death row, where she had been for 10 years at that point, and she just wanted to die. So she was exiting her original statement and saying she willfully committed murder, all in hopes that she could like, you know, speed up the process. Before we close this segment out, I want to say that Eileen actually scored a 32 out of 40 on a test that you really don't want to get a good score on. This is a test for determining psychopathy, and the score cutoff is at 30. The checklist will evaluate individuals on a 20-item list of antisocial and interpersonal behaviors, with each item being scored as 0, 1, or 2 with a maximum score of 40. Eileen's score was 32, meaning she's a sociopath or a psychopath, whatever you want to say, she's just not okay in the head. I mean, as we can tell, she did commit murder. I sentence you in case number 91-463 to death for the murder of Troy Burris. Her lawyer, Steve Glazer, found himself in the bizarre position of helping his client take the express route to the electric chair. Case number, I sentence you to death for the murder of David Spears. Thank you. And uh, probably see, uh, I'll be up in heaven while y'all are rotting in hell. Eileen was first incarcerated at the Florida Department of Corrections in Broward Correctional Institution on death row for women. Then she was transferred to the Florida State Prison for her execution. Her appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court was denied in 1996. In a 2001 petition to the Florida Supreme Court, she stated her intention to dismiss her legal counsel and to terminate all pending appeals. Quote, I killed those men. I robbed them cold as ice. I did it then and I'd do it again too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I'm so sick of hearing she's crazy. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again." End quote. While her attorneys tried to argue that she was not mentally competent and that making such requests should completely be ignored by her. But Eileen insisted she knew exactly what she was doing. And several court-appointed psychiatrists believed and agreed she did. In 2002, Eileen started accusing prison members of putting poison in her food or putting dirt, saliva, and even urine in there. She said that she had overheard conversations among other prison personnel, that they were, quote, trying to get her pushed down to the brink by them, that way she would end up committing suicide before she could end up being executed. She apparently thought that a lot of people there were just out to get her. She also complained of strip searches, tight handcuffing, door kicking, frequent window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and catcalling. 
she threatened to actually boycott and throw food trays when certain officers were on duty. Her attorney said that she did all of this because Eileen just really wanted proper and humane treatment before her execution. Which, if you haven't been here before, I think if you kill somebody, like if you commit stone-cold murder, just don't give two fucks. <laughs> Why the fuck should you be humanely treated? You didn't do that when you ended someone's life. I did say earlier I had sympathy for Eileen as a child. As an adult committing murder seven times, not so much. In the weeks before her execution, Eileen gave a series of interviews. And these are what you've heard a few throughout this episode. Finally, Eileen's execution took place on October 9th of 2002. She declined any last meal, which actually could have been anything under $20, and instead opted for a cup of coffee. Her last words were, quote, Yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock. And I'll be back. Like the Independence Day with Jesus, June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. I know, it makes no fucking sense, but that is what she said. She was actually the second woman in Florida and the 10th in the United States to be executed since the 1976 United States Supreme Court decision restoring all capital punishment. After her death, Eileen's body was cremated and then scattered beneath some trees in Michigan. I want to end this segment with something that Nick Broomfield said, and it like sums up Eileen really well. Quote, I think this anger developed inside of her. And she was working as a prostitute, so I think she had a lot of awful encounters on the road. And I think this anger just spilled out from inside of her. Finally, it exploded into incredible violence. That was her way of surviving. I think Eileen really believed that she had to kill in self-defense. I think someone who's deeply psychotic really can't tell the difference between something that is life-threatening and something that is just a minor disagreement. That you could say something that you didn't agree with, you don't have to kill. She would get into a screaming black temper about it. And I think that's what had caused these things to happen. And at that same time, when she wasn't in those extreme moods, there was such incredible humanity to her. Basically what I take from that is Eileen was so dark and twisty from the shit she had endured and what she'd experienced. But when she wasn't, she wasn't. She was very caring, but also still a stone-cold murderer, so... <laughs> Ow. Alone and lost in her own nightmare, oh, Lee Wernos is an American horror story. She could escape death row, but her bitterness and hate will see Lee become the first woman in over a century to be executed in Florida. Aren't you afraid? No, I'm not afraid. I know where I'm going. I'm going to be with the Lord. Thank you, Take too. Take care of yourself and tell everybody else to Do you want to die? You want to... Oh, man, if I, if I was to uh, leave this planet, it wouldn't be no big deal to me because uh, this is a wicked, wicked world. Wicked world. you guys enjoyed this episode of What the Actual F. Sorry for the long-awaited wait, however. I really hope I delivered and made up for it. As always, if you have any input, questions, or a case that you'd like me to look into, send me an email at whatstheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. I can't respond to all of you, but I do read your messages. 
Also, before we say goodbye, I do want to say thank you so much to Versus Me for allowing me to use the new music we have as our intro. If you have never checked them out, I absolutely implore you to do so because their music is fucking amazing! Anyways, thank you so much if you made it this far to the end of this episode. All of your support and coming here every week and spending this time with me is so appreciated. I love, 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 love you guys so much. Anyways, I'm going to go ahead and say my goodbyes because I need to prepare and get ready for a final scene in a music video. The music video that actually inspired me to tell you guys all about Eileen, but I gotta go. I can't share too much. I will get in trouble. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you on the next episode of What the Actual Left. Please stay safe and uh, don't go do anything stupid, you know? Don't get in cars with strange people. Don't try to solicit sexual favors from a random person on the side of an interstate, especially if her name is Eileen. And uh, I don't know, just please keep safe. Stay alive. Because I really don't want to tell any of these stories and they involve you. Okay, pumpkin. So, love ya. Later. Bye!